I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. Yariv Bash had a simple idea, taking Israel to the moon for the first time. To pursue his new dream, he quit a luxurious job in the Prime Minister's office and founded the non-for-profit Space IL. Together with his co-founders, they quickly joined Google's SpaceX competition, battling with groups from all around the world to be the first to send a spaceship to the moon. For many years, Space IL was leading the competition. But then something unexpected happened. Bash, an enthusiast of extreme sports, had a severe ski accident, which left him in a wheelchair. Yariv Bash joins us today to talk about Israel's race to the moon and his journey to get his old life back. Before we get to the episode, guys, let me tell you about our friends over at the University of Hamburg. They are having an amazing initiative. Um, it's called the First International Robotics Camp for Girls. Okay, this is uh, um, an opportunity for young girls, 15 to 18, to pursue their dreams. You know, science, technology, engineering, math, that's the STEM fields. This is an opportunity for them to actually build robots, to meet leading women in these fields. Okay, they're going to be having entrepreneurs, technology gurus, women who have actually pursued their dreams in these fields, and they're going to have a chance to speak with them. Now, we all know that it's tough enough for women in these fields. There's not a lot of them. And so it's even harder as a child looking for role models. And this is a great opportunity for those girls to find those role models and to really um, pursue those interests. So check out 2njb.com slash robot. 2, the number 2, njb.com slash robot. That'll redirect you to their site and you can learn about this camp and you know spread the word to anybody who you know that might be interested. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. What, what drove you to uh, a life of engineering? Uh, well, I always loved to dismantle and, and you know, and, uh, build stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that my uh, grandfather uh, used to bring me all those cool engineering kits when I was small. Uh, so I think that's what got me started. I got my first uh, lock picking tool when I was like 12 or 14 years old and wow. lots of cool uh, technical Lego kits. So lock picking, maybe he was trying to get you to go in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so, it, it was very handy in high school and during the, yeah, uh, you, you, and during the IDF. Well, when friends forgot, you know, the, the keys to their lockers, that, that was yeah, very handy. Yeah, friends forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and in the IDF, when you uh, have, you know, when you navigate 20 kilometers a night and you can pass through a... Uh, 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 you know, uh, a municipality or like a closed uh, place with, with a fence, it really helps when you can open the lock, open the gate and just, you know, pass through the... Uh, right, the, yeah. <laughs> Especially if no it's obstacles. an Iranian base. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's almost, it's in the Israeli desert. So uh. so you might stumble into in the, the uh, nuclear uh, Dimona. But uh, other I, than I that... I still do it from time to time. <laughs> really? Here we've just presented us with a, lot a malicious tool. pick. <laughs> so okay so you from an early age got interested in this and then um you i mean uh, i'm presumably space il wasn't your first job uh so no after uh, serving actually in the artillery corps i started uh, learning uh, studying engineering in tel aviv university and during my studies i found myself working for the uh, prime minister's office 
uh, doing a lot of cool secret stuff. Usually for our listeners, that's code for Mossad. Uh, for now, it's actually a code for many other things as well. Yeah. Uh, over there, I did things like uh, uh, GPS and location-based services. Uh, I've done real-time programming, embedded programming, a lot of hardcore technologies. I also was one of the founders of a camp called the Machanet. Machanet is the Israeli uh, IDF and security services camp for uh, uh, crazy people from all branches of the military and secret services of Israel. Like uh, a coding camp? It's like a three-day event when you bring the craziest, most creative technologies, technologists from the Air Force, Navy, Intelligence Corps, uh, Shin Bet, Mossad, uh, the uh, uh, different uh, industries like the Israeli Aerospace Industries, Rafael, Elbit, those kind of guys. And you just let them have fun in an Air Force base. Back then it was in the desert. Now it's in an Air Force base in Haifa. And you just let them have fun for three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, to enter the camp, you must work on a project. It has to be smart and useless. <laughs> uh, like the IDF. Exactly. <laughs> and the idea is to connect all those islands of creativity from different branches of the, uh, of the government and let them meet each other and also let them explore and play with things they don't do on a daily basis. So if you're a programmer, you can solder something or you can, I don't know, work with carpentry or, or whatever you want. If you're uh, a mechanical engineer, you can program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically you come back to your unit empowered by both meeting other guys who are like-minded like you and you have, you've touched a few tools that you haven't met before. And that helps you to think of new ideas and new solutions uh, when you go back to your unit. So how did Space IL kind of uh, present itself? And, and then how did you uh, make that decision to leave? So uh, in 2010, we brought uh, Shimon Peres, back then he was the president, to Machanet. It was quite crazy. It was really an amazing experience. Of course, we, you know, you bring Shimon Peres to the desert, to something, uh, uh, to uh, something related to security of Israel. Lots of creativity, lo- lots of young guys. Uh-huh. It's everything that Shimon loves in a, in mixed up in a bucket. And uh, it, it was quite amazing. And then we said, okay, what can we do next year that's going to be as amazing as bringing the president to, to visit us? And uh, I thought to myself, well, let's, let's build a, a rocket, launch it to the edge of space release a small plastic spacecraft, take a video of that, and, you know, call it the first Israeli spacecraft. And uh, uh, What does that mean, the edge of space? That's roughly 100 kilometers. Okay, that's, that's legally, like the, the edge of the atmosphere? Yeah, so the atmosphere is a gradient. So okay. legally, uh, space is considered around 100 kilometers or so. Legally? Yeah, legally what, what legal ramifications knows, does space no, have? No, 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 I, I'm, I really, I'm really not sure. Like if you're there, the FBI cannot arrest M- you. Maybe it's the, uh, you know, above that, it, it's not considered the space of the country. Ah, okay. I see maybe airspace. That, exactly. Okay. So if you've got a satellite at 300 kilometers, then you can fly above anywhere you want. But if you have an airplane flying at 80 kilometers, that's still... And you said it's 100 kilometers. Yep. That's high. <laughs> but that's quite high, quite high. I okay. Mean, 
general aviation, the 787s fly at roughly 10 kilometers or so. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you guys decided to send this thing out to so the edge of space. That was my idea, you know, just a, a small rocket with a, with a plastic spacecraft and call it the first Israeli spacecraft. Uh, luckily, I, uh, I went to a friend's house, to Ilan, uh, uh, one of the uh, civilians who helped us to run the camp. And I told him about the idea, and then he told me, well, you're not thinking big enough. And I asked him, what, what are you talking about, a CubeSat, a nanosatellite? Nanosatellites are very small satellites. They weigh up to a kilo and a half. They're the size of 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters, or okay. a multiple of that. And I looked it up, and uh, before I met him, and, uh, and the, uh, the, the prices are quite high. I mean, the, uh, such a satellite can cost like the, the entire budget of the entire camp, which isn't that high. Wow. And uh, uh, I told him, well, are you talking about the CubeSat? And he said, no, what about the Google Lunar X Prize uh, competition? And I told him, I, I remembered vaguely what that was all about. So we, you know, we, we, we went to the website and we saw the video and I told him, ah, you're crazy. Sending a spacecraft to the moon, that's, that's you know, 10 orders of magnitude behind, bigger than what I had in mind. Uh, luckily, Elon has a wide selection of scotch in his house. <laughs> and uh, as I was strolling the uh, streets of Tel Aviv back home, I asked myself, well, how, if I'd open an Israeli team, how should I name it? And that night I registered the spaceil.com domain name. <laughs> and I googled it. And I, saw, yeah, and I saw that uh, registration was $50,000 non-refundable. That was a bit above what I could, you know, afford as a, as a government employee. Uh, but I saw that you can send $1,000, which were refundable, and get a letter of intent. Okay. Stating that you intend to register at the race, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, I'm willing, you know, to lose the, uh, the bank fees for transferring those $1,000. <laughs> and I did that. And I emailed Jonathan, a friend from Machanet and from another uh, camp who worked for the uh, space division at Israeli Aerospace Industries, and I wrote him, listen, I have a crazy idea. Where, when can we meet? And I also posted on my Facebook wall, uh-huh. who wants to go to the moon? And wow. Kfir, who was another friend from Machanet, wrote me back, well, if you're serious, I'm in. And that's how we got started. What's the concept of the Google Lunar X? What was the concept of it? So the uh, competition rules are pretty simple. Thank you very much for paying uh, $50,000. The first team that manages to send the spacecraft to the moon, soft land it, travel 500 meters and transmit back images and videos, wins $20 million. As simple as that. There's no bus taking you there. Uh, you don't have to submit paperwork or anything. Do it however you please. If you want to build it, yeah, very easy. Well, uh, how, how do you it's, of course, it? it's backed up by a document um, roughly 100 pages long, but that's basically <laughs> the. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Wait, roof. but you said before, that I think it was in, in, I don't remember what year you said, but that you guys decided you wanted to send a plastic object to the edge mm-hmm. of space, and that would be the first Israeli spacecraft? Yeah. But do we not have satellite? Well, we we not- have. It was supposed to be kind of a, of a you know, a, a geeky joke. Ah, okay. I wanted I like to have a, a plastic TIE fighter yeah. or the next wing, something like that, and yeah. call it the first Israeli. So that was kind of a joke for the camp, but, you know. Uh, okay, I see, I see. So, so then this space, uh, the Google Lunar X mm-hmm. actually took off. 
And there's a whole story there that the deadline was extended and then it was extended again. And what, I mean, what, what, so what went on there? We, we had a few, uh, 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 yeah, it's been quite a, quite a ride. I mean, just registration. I heard about the competition in November 2010. Registration was opened for two and a half years until December 31st, 2010. And by then you had to pay $50,000 for registration. Now, guess on which date we registered. December 31st. It was a Friday morning. We rushed to the bank, and banks are... Most branches aren't opened on, on Friday morning in hours. We just, you know, set up a bank account like a week before. <laughs> a day Ooh. before, we had something like $30,000 in the account. Yeah. And lots of promises, and even faxes from the uh, different, you know, uh, donors claiming that they've sent us the money, and it should appear in the bank yeah. <laughs> the day after. And we got to the bank and there were like $52,000 in the account. And we were like, we wired the $50,000 and, you know, we, we sent an email to the... Uh, Use the rest to buy vodka and uh, <laughs> <laughs> burgers. Wish, uh, the, uh, <laughs> Google was probably shaking their heads like, ah, Israelis. The, uh, the X-Files Foundation. So actually, after that, every time the, uh, the X-Files Foundation had like a due date, yeah. uh, they changed it from submission to, rec to receival of... Of the, uh, of the funds or the paperwork or whatever because they got the funds like a few days afterwards uh -huh. but we had to send to wire them the funds by december 31st so that was uh, that so was you nice. so you guys registered you had this uh, space il how many competi then, competitors back then there were 33 teams from all over the world the original deadline was the end of 2012 okay and then it got postponed again and again Why? 2013 14 because they, had, they, they saw that none of the teams is, is about to make it. Why? Uh, well, getting to the moon is quite hard, apparently. <laughs> Can't I do and it with a few parts I buy from AliExpress? Not yet, maybe <laughs> in a few years. But the, uh, the main problem is the, uh, the business model. There's really no direct commercial uh, benefit in going to the moon. There, there's been a few or more than a few uh, X-Prize uh, uh, competitions before. And all of them had a direct commercial benefit. So you can get, could get investors to invest, invest in your company. Mm -hmm. And most of the uh, Google Lunar X Prize teams started up as companies. But when you have to spend roughly $100 million to get to the moon, a reasonable investor would ask you, okay, but what do I get in return for those $100 million? So is it just mostly philanthropists? So for most of the teams, they spoke about IP, about taking, uh, you know, experiments to the moon, uh, going from the moon to other places. It's really hard to justify the, the commercial objectives. But when you talk about the social ROI that such a project can make, the impact that such a project can have on a, on a nation, that was already proven back in the 60s with the Apollo mission. Mm -hmm. So I think that the best business decision that we've made when we started was to start as a not-for-profit. I see. Uh, I think that in terms of funds raised, we've raised something like three or four times at least than the, the second team at the race. Who was your biggest donor? And uh, so today we have two major donors. Uh, Maurice Kahn has been with us from day one. Meeting him was also, you know, <laughs> we had so much luck meet, meeting Who's him. It was crazy. Who is he? Uh, Maurice Kahn is the uh, founder of Amdocs and the Israeli Yellow Pages. Okay. And we, we actually... When we got started, we had nothing. We emailed Professor Ben Israel, the chairman of the Israeli Space Agency, 
Dear Professor Ben Israel, we are three young engineers, we'd like to speak with you about sending an Israeli spacer to the moon. Luckily, he accepted us for a meeting. And in the meeting, like five minutes into the meeting, he just grabbed my laptop and started moving slides on his own. Okay, that's your deadline or milestones. Ah, no way, it's going to take much longer. That's the budget. No, it's going to be much bigger than that. <laughs> that's the size of the space after that, guys. You're, you're really not there yet. Uh, but he has seen some shit. Yeah, he's, uh, he's quite a guy. Yeah. He's been, a, he's been a member of the Knesset. He's been the head of the Israeli Darpa, Mafat. He's, he's a crazy guy. Yeah. And, you know, we all show that he's going to, you know, the only lunch we're going to get is being lunched out of his room. <laughs> uh, but uh, instead he said, guys, you're still not there, but I see that you have motivation. I'm going to help you. A month from now, I have uh, my annual, the, the, the annual Israeli Space Agency meeting summit. And I want you guys presenting Space Hell on stage. And, you know, in the audience, we had, you know, people like the chairman of the European Space Agency and the deputy administrator from NASA and, you know, people from mm-hmm. the Israeli industry and um, whoever wanted could join the, uh, the summit. And we presented on stage and we went down from the stage. And someone who sat in the front row approached us and said, oh, you're the Space Hell guys, do you have any money? And we told them, no, we, we just got started. And then he said the magical words, I'll give you $100,000 to start. Seed money, no obligations. And that was Maurice Kahn sitting in the audience. He wow. loved space. And wow. he loved, loved what he heard. And he's been with us since then. He's donated, now it's in the eight figures in dollars. That's Yep, yeah, that's quite a lot. Uh, he was joined by uh, Miri and Sheldon Adelson two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They've also been uh, very large supporters of, of Space AL. So Trump, Bibi, and Space AL are their biggest <laughs> inv- investors. So I, I, invest. I like to look at it on, uh, from a different angle. It doesn't matter if you're from the left side, right side, if you're a secular or an ultra-religious, if you're Arab, uh, Muslim, or a Jew. This is a project that unites everyone from Israel. It's, it's a great project. Mm-hmm. Besides the UN, you know, we're going to have, the day after we land, there's going to be a UN declaration against the Israeli occupation of the moon. But <laughs> so, so what, I mean, why is it that you haven't got, gotten to the moon yet? Well, it, apparently it is rocket science and it takes a decade to go to the moon. Uh, you, had the, you had the US back in, in the 60s with the Apollo project. Roughly $300 billion spent on that in today's Jesus. terms. Uh, back then you had the Soviet Union. It's not even Russia. Russia did not land on the moon. The Soviet Union landed on the moon back then with an unmanned spacecraft. And just two years ago, China as a nation, 1.4 billion people, the Chinese government landed an unmanned spacecraft on the moon two years ago. And what China as a nation just did two years ago SpaceL is a not-for-profit with 40-plus employees is about to do in, a few, uh, in less than a year. So I have a, I have a question. What mm-hmm. are the chances that the 60s landing was a conspiracy? Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I've been involved in conspiracies. It's really hard to pull a, a good one, and it yeah. doesn't last. Because what you're saying mm-hmm. is that China, that has billions and trillions of dollars at, a, at its disposal, barely managed to land... Two years ago. So how could this be that at the end of the 60s... I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't actually believe this, but I'm just... You're actually <laughs> taking us there. I'm just... I'm taking us there. Well, it took a nation a decade. The, the, the American nation, it took them a decade to go to the moon. It's crazy. And Nazi scientists. That's, 
That's the secret. You know, <laughs> and 20 years, yeah, that, they've helped. And think about it, 20 years before that, it took the, uh, the, the American nation a decade to build an atom bomb. Yeah. So there are certain projects that really take the, uh, the entire resources of a nation to, to, to build and, and, and mm-hmm. do. So uh, back then, it was, you had the, the arms race. So the U.S. had a very good reason to, to aim for the moon. Right. Today, you know, it's more about science and maybe about the... Uh, uh, it's mostly about science. So it, it, What's want, the biggest challenge, though? It's, I think it's, 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 it's a one-shot. It's a one-shot thing. The first time that we're going to operate the propulsion system is once we're in orbit around Earth. The propulsion system will not be... Te- you cannot test it here on Earth. The what system now? The propulsion, like the uh, propulsion, the models, like the the what boosts you forward, the, the right, and p- gives you the push to go to the moon. Uh, and navigates you to softly land on the moon instead uh-huh. of uh, of crashing at two miles per second, <laughs> making spa- Israel the tenth nation to create a crater on the surface of the moon, which isn't bad by itself. But but the competition. <laughs> is not in place anymore, right? Yeah, so, uh, you know, a few years ago, we realized that we've outgrown the competition. We're not here to win $20 million. We're here to make Israel the fourth nation to land on the moon. We're here to make an educational impact on Israel. We've got hundreds of volunteers going all over Israel, going into classrooms. We've got hundreds of lectures each month uh, going to, you know, schools, high schools, elementary schools, yeah, all over Israel, from the south to the to the north, uh, Jews, Muslims, Christians, we, we don't really care. And the kids, when you go into a classroom and you start talking about spacecraft, that that's it. The kids are are, are hooked. And the uh, the real value of space AL is the thousands or tens of thousands of new engineers and scientists will be creating for Israel in the in the next uh, in the next decade decade or so. Mm-hmm. That's the real lasting impact of, of, of space I am. Just, what, just what one second. S- so, so from all the companies that started, you're the only one left. Uh, basically, the, uh, t- roughly two years ago, uh, if, you had, if you didn't have a launch agreement in place, you were kicked out of the competition. So there were, at the end, five teams left. Uh, currently, the competition continues, but without a prize money. So basically, you know, it's, uh, it's, they're, they're going to clap us once we, uh, we land on the moon. What would you say to, to someone who's, who would, would uh, propose the argument that, you know, all this money and all this effort and it's so, you know, so difficult and, you know, mm-hmm. we've had, we have proof of how difficult it is from the, in the past. It might fail. To just put a machine on the moon, which, as you said before, it's very hard to justify the, uh, the, the commercial benefits of, put, of doing this. And that's why it's hard to get, you know... Uh, investments, private mm-hmm. investments, uh, and you know, in the states, it's it's a lot of it's publicly funded, and and in other places, I'm sure, I'm sure in China, they don't really ask anybody. Um, but what would you say to someone who says, you know, w- w- maybe it's just one big waste of money? Well, or just Miguel mania. <laughs> so for space hell, for what we're doing, uh, I don't think that there's any other project that can impact an entire generation for that amount. Uh, this is marketing for education, for, for STEM education. Mm. Uh, this is what it's going to do. And when you look at the numbers, there have been a lo- lots of research done on the Apollo project, and it was called the Apollo effect. Uh, during the 70s, kids went in amazing numbers 
to become engineers and scientists because of the Apollo effect. You know that, like you checked that. The others, uh, it's an old uh, research called the societal impacts of the Apollo program. And they've done the research and, and you can see the, uh, the graph. Right. It's, it's crazy. And back then it was a side effect. For us, it's our main goal. So, uh, you know, we, we're based on a proven uh, educational right. model or a mm-hmm. business model. And hopefully a decade from now, we'll be able to measure that, that impact. Awesome. Think about the, the first Olympics, Olympic medal that Israel won in judo. Yeah. yeah. And what happened to kids going to judo classes afterwards. Uh-huh. And this is going to be much bigger than that. So what can you give us a date? Uh, so I can give you, give you a time frame. Uh, we're currently talking about launching by the end of this year and landing in Q1 next year. But again, it is rocket science and things might change. It's not all depending on us. It's also depending on our uh, launch provider and the, uh, the launch integrator. So things could change. But basically, that's the, uh, the time frame we're speaking of. Cool. And are we, are we launching or are you launching? I'm already, take, <laughs> I'm already like it's appropriating ours. it to the nation. Like in China. Yeah. That, that's the goal. Or uh, is, is, it, is the, uh, is the uh, ship, what is it called? Launch. The, the launch. No, but is the, uh, rocket. the rocket launching from Israel? Unfortunately, no. Israel is capable of launching its own satellites to space, but mostly military satellites. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to launch with SpaceX from Cape Canaveral in uh, Florida. Mm, cool. And they're, they're like, gonna... if you want us to blow up the moon, we can do it, but <laughs> we can't land on the moon. So uh, basically, they're taking us to an orbit around Earth. Yeah. And from there, it's, it's our spacecraft taking us like 10 times the distance to the surface of the moon. Actually, a lot of the fuel is... Uh, being used during the deceleration, mm. going from two miles per second or two or three kilometers per second to a complete stop, soft spot, stop on the surface of the moon. I see. So before we get to the drones, will you tell us how, what happened with the accident? Uh, it was, you know, I've been snowboarding for more than 15 years now. I've uh, stopped doing uh, crazy things in snow parks when my kids uh, were born. Uh, but it, it was just bad luck. I mean, I, I was uh, snowboarding in, in deep snow. It was really after two days of, of snow that the conditions were perfect. We were eight guys skiing and snowboarding together. And I just caught a rock that, you know, hid beneath the, uh, the powdery snow. It just kicked me in the air and I landed with my back on the, snow, on the, on the rock. Uh, I stayed conscious and I immediately felt like, you know, like an electricity shock. And half of my body just disappeared. Um, you realized that? Yeah. I, at I the was, moment? At that moment, I said to myself, okay, it's either temporary or, or fixed. There's nothing I can do today. The first thing I have to do is be found because I was like the last guy from the, uh, from the team. And we, 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 we've been skiing together for 15 years. So usually, you know, you wait near the, uh, at the next stop for everyone to, to, to come. Mm-hmm. And I just raised my hand and started, you know, screaming and shouting. And 20, 30 seconds or something like that, two British guys stopped next to me, asked me what's wrong. I told them, listen, guys, I can't move my legs. I can't feel them. And they said, okay. Uh, and, they, you know, they st- started shouting to uh, everybody who passed, called the, uh, the snow patrol, the ski patrol. And they came and, you know, th- there's nothing really that you can do. Just fixed me to, uh, to a board. They took me down the, uh, the mountain and from there I was uh, loaded on a helicopter 
I faded out in the, heli in the helicopter on the way to the hospital. Um, then I was in a medically seduced coma for two days for the body to, uh, to overcome the shock. My wife flew in. I was then operated there and uh, four or five days after that I was uh, shipped on, a, on an El Al passenger airplane. They just turned the, uh, the back of the airplane to an, to an ER. It was quite crazy. I was... I was I don't remember anything from the flight I was in pain and you know with a lot of a lot of uh, painkillers and I just woke up in Nikhilov the day afterwards and you know uh, they, they brought a psychologist to speak with me and he told me you realize that you know what happened to you and I told him yeah I realized that I, I, I won't be able to walk and now the, the next thing is okay how can I just go back to my regular life what are the tools that I need to get to go back to my life. And, mm -hmm. and that's what I did in, the, in rehab in Tel Shomer in the, the next six months or so. Was there a period where, I mean, I imagine, you know, being in a situation like that, it's hard to find the motivation. I mean, or do you just ha are naturally resilient? So I think my days in the, uh, in the military, in, uh, I was in a kind of a special forces unit in the artillery corps. And I, I went back to the... Uh, to the mindset of being in basic training again. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, in Rabak, exactly. <laughs> now I have to go through this and I, I saw, you know, I was visited by a few guys in a wheelchair and I saw that, you know, people are having great life in a wheelchair. And my, my motivation was my wife, my kids, my, my job, my, my work. I, you know, I, I had a very satisfactory life. I love, you know, I love Tel Aviv. So I had all the, the reasons to go back to my life as, as fast as possible. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Rabak because I think it's an Israeli thing, but it's also a, an extremely useful tool in the face of, I think for American listeners, Rabak, if I had to translate it, is kind of seeing hardships as a challenge instead it's of... like the, the mindset a, of go, go, go. Yeah. It's like... But it's translating something that's difficult <laughs> into a challenge, saying yeah. I'm going to overcome this instead of saying, oh, this is difficult. And everybody <laughs> will know. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm the king. Okay, so, so you managed to kind of get, you know, back to things. On track. And so I, I tried not, you know, a week or two uh, after the accident, I already asked a mate, my, my co-founder in Flytrex, to bring me the, uh, the laptop so I could work from the hospital. And a few weeks after that, I started, you know, bringing the team to, to the hospital. Wow. Uh, yeah. So uh, you knew that you needed to get back to the work yeah, in order to uh, just move forward. And the, the rehab department, they're, they're all in favor of that. I mean, you, yeah. you don't wear any special, you know, hospital wardrobe or anything like that. You, you wear your own clothing. Mm -hmm. They encourage you to go outside after the uh, physiotherapy and all the, uh, the exercises. So uh, after that, I started coming to Flydrex. Mm-hmm. A uh, few hours and then on a daily basis. So this was recent? How recently was this? this so was I got released from rehab on September 2017. 2017, okay. So The accident was in March 2017 and uh, rehab see. was until September. But I, I, it's really, so this is you know, still someone new for you. Yeah, but I, I've been like this from, from day one, I think. It's, yeah. It hasn't changed. Yeah. What's the biggest challenge of it, though? Uh, well, you have to be patient because a lot of things that would have taken you two seconds can take five minutes. Let's go. You go. Let's say you go to a restaurant, and they have a few stairs, so they might have a special elevator, but they have to remember where's the key for that special elevator, 
and to call the guy that maybe knows how to operate the elevator mm. until he gets there and opens up the elevator and the, those elevators takes ages to go up and, and down it's really it's it's you know you, you can you we could have the uh, uh this podcast while the elevator goes up or down <laughs> so basically you have to you know be patient for all of that uh but besides that uh, you know the only difference is maybe uh 80 centimeters in height <laughs> yeah between what i you know me standing and sitting uh but besides that not, not much so you uh were working and are still working in flight fly tracks which mm-hmm. is the where we are at right now yeah. actually and we're seeing a lot of drones lying around um so tell us a bit about fly tracks so we we've opened uh, fly tracks uh, a few years ago amit and myself amit was my flatmate when i started space IL. then we we got married and you know we, we had to uh, to move apartments <laughs> we, we first uh, we first moved apartments and then only then got married uh, <laughs> we, we won't tell anybody <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh meet was phasing out of uh the startup he was involved in and he started playing with roles and he heard that i'm bringing a, a professional ceo to to space hell to the space uh, uh-huh. program and he uh, told me that he's starting to play with drones and should and if i want to join him and we started playing with drones in flight tracks in the first two years was a complete bootstrap we sold GPS trackers for drones. We ended up selling more than 20,000 units in 70 countries around the world. It was a really cool product that we've developed and sold from scratch. Uh, to help people, private people? Yeah, it to was... fly drones to find them or track so them better? They, they could see them in real time on a map. They mm. could compete with other friends for distance and speeds, things like that. Okay. We had competitions and prizes, things like that. And then we realized that the... Uh, the killer application for drones is going to be drone deliveries. Mm-hmm. We knew that it's going to take a few years, but we realized that this is what we want to focus on. And we started raising funds, and we started running, doing that. And happily, uh, last year, we were the, uh, the first company to deploy a real working drone delivery project in the capital of Iceland, in Reykjavik. We have amazing partners there. Uh, they are the, like the, the Amazon of Iceland, only it's Iceland, so they're a lot smaller. <laughs> they're, the, they're called AHA, AHA. They're the largest online retailer in, in Iceland. And with them, we're, we're pushing the boundaries of drone deliveries in Iceland. Uh, a month ago, we were approved for a, one of the 10 pilots that the FAA selected in the States for drones, commercial drone uh, operations, and that's going to start later this year. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. And the way I saw the I saw a video, it's fascinating, and I can't wait till it happens because Just I can't pizza. stand waiting for food. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Honestly, exactly. deliveries here in Israel are just yeah, an like, abomination. Up to two hours to yeah. get your and, one and, sushi, and, and you call them after two and a half, and they're like, "Yeah, we there, there's some delays. Just we should just wait leave. patiently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. he's on his way. Just it's horrible. if he doesn't call, if you don't get it in the next hour or so, give us a call. <laughs> So will it actually practically be applicable for things like food delivery? We're, we're aiming to start with food delivery. Ah. For that exact perfect. reason. I, I mean, <laughs> that, that's, that's a market where the customer can appreciate if he gets his sushi in 15 minutes instead of an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. Plus the, uh, the, the uh, payment that restaurants, they pay to the on-demand delivery services is outrageous. I mean, if you're, if you're a restaurant and you're working with Postmates, Uber Eats, any one of these guys, you end up paying almost third or up to thirty percent 
of the amount ordered. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I mean, you're sending sometimes an entire motorcycle. You're sending a guy in a, sometimes in a car. You're sending yeah. a one-ton vehicle for something that weighs, I don't know, two kilos <laughs> and has to travel throughout the city. Yeah. It's crazy. A, a, a so, human courier can make between two and a half and three deliveries per hour. Wow, and he uh, and he co- it costs money to pay. It costs money. The, the car costs money. The insurance yeah. costs money. The maintenance is it's. And so I saw a video of how it's uh, delivered, and mm-hmm. it's amazing. I saw that at first you guys were delivering where the drone would land, and then someone would open a compartment and take it out. But now it's actually being lowered to the ground from the air. Exactly. So that, today, like a mission impossible <laughs> for a hamburger. <laughs> that's amazing. That's, that's a nice description. So basically, now we hover in place between 12 and 15 meters above the destination. And the, the recipient has to approve that he's at the location willing to accept the package. If you're not there, it's like a human courier. If he knocks on the door and you're not there, you know, he just goes back. So yeah. if you're willing to accept the package, you're there, just press the button. And then we just hover in place, lower the package on a wire to the ground and, and fly away. Wow. And that way it's a lot quieter, it's a lot safer. Uh, people don't have to actually approach the drone exactly I, I don't want someone who just ordered sushi for 20 bucks near my, near my $5,000 worth of a drone Ah, he's not <laughs> worried about their fingers he's worried about his drone I'm more worried about his dog you know people <laughs> yeah, are you know they, like. they have safety in mind most of them yeah. but the dog might just you know run towards the drone yeah. and then who's gonna sue who am i going to sue the, the dog <laughs> is the dog going to sue flight track so I'd, I'd rather stay in the so air. will we see drones here at your window in the skies of tel aviv in a matter of a few years you think so yes and it's going to be a lot safer and quieter than than any other alternative today today you've got scooters you've got trucks you've got cars and they're going all, all over the place and drones are already much safer than the alternative i mean in our pilot program in iceland the, uh, the amount we're paying for insurance is half of what an Uber driver pays today for his insurance fee. Wow. So it's considered safer than, than cars today. And it's only get be- getting better. I, maybe this is like a really technical question, but like, I mean, cr- like, won't they all just crash into each other? How do it's, I, like, if I'm not in a uh, penthouse, how do I get it delivered to my third floor apartment? So right now we're, we're aiming at the suburbs. It's places where, where you've got okay. a backyard okay. and where current food uh, delivery companies are, cannot operate because of the unit economics. Mm, if you live in Manhattan, then you've got a plethora of options. Yeah. If you're living in, in Long Island, yeah. you have to get in the car and, and get the, the food from the Chinese or pizza I place see. on your own. So that's where you're starting. Exactly. The city, the, the real urban, like mm-hmm. uh, densely populated areas is the next step. Exactly. Plus, the uh, if you can get a, an autonomous car to na- navigate the city. It's so much easier to get a drone to navigate the skies. Mm-hmm. Most of them are free for you. Yeah, you don't have any more. Dimen- three dimensional. Exactly. And there aren't too many moving objects. I mean, mm-hmm. there are other drones and there's, there's going to be a traffic management system in place. Mm-hmm. to make sure that drones yeah. don't crash into one another. There are startups for that yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. Numerous. And, you know, buildings do not move on a daily basis. Neither mm-hmm. do uh, power lines or mountains. Yeah. So you can survey uh, uh, an area and just be aware of anything. Yeah. Uh, we just saw this year uh, on uh, the Independence Day, there was that amazing display mm-hmm. of coordinated By drones. Intels. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was quite impressive. Yeah. It's, uh, they're, they're both drones, but these are different beasts. I mean... Yeah, I'm I into delivery trucks and they're doing uh, private cars also. Yeah. 
I think if I hadn't seen that, then I wouldn't be able to imagine what you're talking about. But now that I have, I can say, okay, I get, I get how this could work. Before we go, Yariv, I read in an interview with you, I don't know if you said it or maybe a friend or a family member said it, that in due time, you will get to the challenge of building a mechanism or solving the problem of not being able to walk. Is that something that... So it's a, it's an, it's a question I ask myself. I mean, I, I'm good at electronics, at you know, computers, in those kind of things. And I have 20 years of experience in doing so, uh, maybe even more, if you count in the uh, electronics and technical Lego kits. And I have zero know-how in biology, in chemistry, in, 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 in you know, human science. So I, I'm, right now I'm, I'm betting on, on other good people to solve that for me. I'm, of course, you know, following everything, but I don't think that I'll have the, uh, the ability to solve it myself. I don't know, maybe 10 years from now when I have the, the time and the funds, uh, I might go into that, but currently I'm just sitting back and I'm, I'm letting handle others handle the wheel. And I think if, if I think about that, you know, that's the, uh, when I was up on the mountain and the, the snow patrol, the ski patrol guys came and in my mindset I was, okay, I can now chill out. The, uh, the professionals are, are here. They're going to give me the best service that they can. And that's, you know, that's the best that I can hope for. Uh, <laughs> a modern hospital in France that is one of the specialties, ski injuring, uh, skiing injuries. So, you know, I'm in good hands. Mm-hmm. And I have to put my trust in the scientists that are working on, uh, on spinal cord injuries. Personally, I hope and believe that the uh, solution would be to fix the spinal cord and not an, an exoskeleton. Uh, I'd rather, you know, I'm only missing a few, uh, an inch or so, or a few centimeters of missing a spinal cord in, in my back. Hopefully we'll manage to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. I'd rather, you know, do that than find myself in a, in a MacBot <laughs> suit that's going to make things very hard for me to go into taxis or but go cool. through... A, It's going to be cool, but then, you know, but then you get to a place and there's, yeah, exactly. And there's like a narrow corridor or a narrow door and you just won't be able to go through that door. Yeah. Uh, So I'd rather, you know, everything is in place. I just need a few, uh, an inch of a wiring fixed. That's about it. Is that, is that, is that stem cell research? Is that what the, the... So there are a few, uh, a few verticals. There's the stem search. There's the CRISPR-Cas9, the uh, DNA modification. Yeah. So you have a few uh, uh, animals out there that can uh, uh, replace and, you know, and, and reconnect the spinal cord. So Is there problems with stem cell research here in Israel? Because like, I know in the United States that a lot of uh, Christians get in the way because mm-hmm. they say that you know, it's, it's, not, yeah, it's not meant to be. Yeah. So I think in Israel it's not, it's not as problematic in the States. Ah, okay. uh, but you're seeing a lot of, I think the, the end solution, if you talk about the... Uh, uh, the uh, medical solution and not a, a mechanical solution, uh, and I think the, the end solution would be a, a mixture. Uh, right now, Tel Aviv University and the Technion published an article about uh, uh, they insert a small, they've done it on, a, I think, uh, on a few mice. They insert a small 3D structure, 3D printed structure uh, that has a special formula inside that's taken from a a specific nerve in your body uh, from your uh, nose and they've 
actually cut the, uh, dissected the uh, spinal cords of a few mice and they've inserted that inside and 44% of the mice went back to walking. Mm. Uh, but as uh, the professor, the head of the uh, rehab department in Tel Shomer told me, it always works in mice. So, you know, wait till they get to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to mammals, to monkeys and things like yeah. that. But so you're optimistic. Was, yeah, there was just an article about the same operation being done, done in, in monkeys. So we're getting there. It's the wow. first time that they've managed to do that in the last 30 years or so. Wow. So it's getting there. Uh, but, you know, if I'll be asked to be on the first pilot, I'm not sure that I want to spend a year away from my family and from what I love doing uh, to be in a test that might succeed or might fail. I, I'd rather wait a few more years until I see that the success rate is high enough and then go through the, uh, the process. I still have a, a lot of my bucket list uh, before going back to, uh, to working. Uh, before we go here, so people can still, do you still accept donations, uh, Space Hale? So Space Hale is always uh, missing a few millions of dollars, but we're really on the, on the last leg. I mean, the spacecraft is already built. It's going through uh, uh, last uh, stages of testings here in Israel, and we, we still need uh, another uh, large donation, and, and that would cover the, the entire the entire journey of space. So how, how do people donate? So they can uh, uh, contact us through spacehell.com. We're pretty easy to, uh, to reach through our Facebook page. And we really, every, every dollar can help. You can feel as part of being part of the uh, space Hell journey. So you do accept small donations? Yes, online on our website. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you want to contribute a larger amount of, of, of uh, you know, a larger donation, then feel free to contact us and we'll, you know, uh, we have a few cool options for, for large donors, like being in the uh, control room doing the launch and landings and those kind of things. So guys, help put Israel on the moon. Or on a crater. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a, a crazy uh, adventure, but you know, we've, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's going to happen and less than a year from now. It's really, it's, it's really there. I believe it. Hopefully we'll be here too. Anyway, uh, also, uh, um, Eitan, we have a us? collaboration with uh, the Jewish Journal. So the podcast is made in collaboration with the Jewish Journal. Check them out, jewishjournal.com. They are a news source out in uh, the U.S. Uh, for news in general, but also Jewish news. Um, so they have some great columns. Ben Shapiro uh, writes for them, Daniel Barron. Uh, check them out, jewishjournal.com. And uh, we are not Space AL, but we do... Uh, accept donations if you want to help us go to twingb.com slash donate and you know we'd greatly appreciate it and that is it Yuri thank you so much for inspiring us and being such an awesome uh, dude thanks for having me on the show thank you bye guys bye